So we continue today on the teaching of the foundation principles and we're dealing with the series of the doctrine of baptisms. And uh, that is the third out of the six foundational teachings, uh, principles that are taught to us in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. And we've had a look at the fact that uh, the scripture does talk about the fact that the doctrine is called doctrine of baptisms, plural, not singular, indicating very clearly that there is more than one baptism to the body of Christ. And uh, we, we've seen in Scripture that there, in fact, are three separate baptisms taught to us under the New Testament. And the first baptism is that we're baptized into Christ, and every believer partakes of that baptism by default when they come into the body of Christ. Each believer is fully immersed into Christ by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit resides, takes up residence inside the spirits of every believer uh, when they come into Christ. And so that is the first baptism that we're taught about. And then we had a look at the, the fact that there is a baptism in water. And we've looked at uh, this baptism as being a subsequent baptism to being baptized into Christ. The other two baptisms, being the baptism of the Holy Spirit and baptism in water, are two baptisms that are, are subsequent baptisms to being baptized into Christ when we come into the kingdom of God. And we saw that uh, the New Testament teaches us that water baptism, uh, according to the New Testament pattern, takes place almost immediately after one is born again, one is saved. There's no time delay involved. And we had a look at the impact of what water baptism is really all about. And the fact is, water baptism deals with our earthly bodies, these, these earthly tents that we dwell in. They have to be uh, uh, dealt with um, in accordance, in, in line with scripture, and that is really what water baptism is all about. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of our earthly bodies, and uh, we've dealt with that particular aspect of, of, of baptism in at, at length over the previous uh, three teachings. So now we come to the third of the baptisms taught to the body of Christ um, in the scriptures, and that is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, as we said, of the three baptisms, the first one every believer partakes of because that is uh, by default. The second baptism, which is baptism in water, not every believer partakes of that baptism in the church today. And we looked at the various reasons for that, most of it being ignorance, um, for the Bible not being taught correctly as it should be. And so believers do not partake of water baptism as they should. And so it, it impacts on their Christian walk and uh, it impacts negatively on their Christian walk because they don't partake of that particular baptism. When we come to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is even fewer believers who are baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, than are baptized in water. And uh, again, this particular baptism is not experienced by every believer, again, because of various reasons. Uh, ignorance, again, the Bible not being taught correctly, and because of that, people, believers, do not partake of it, and it also then negatively impacts on their Christian walk. They never experience the fullness of, uh, of um, the Christian walk that they should experience in this life. Both baptisms, water baptism and uh, Baptism in the Holy Spirit pertains to this life and uh, being a blessing in the life of the believer in this age that we currently reside in. Obviously, being baptized into Christ is the eternal baptism, and that uh, goes through with us for all eternity. 
Water baptism only affects uh, the physical body that we dwell in now, and so it pertains only to this life. Um, baptism in the Holy Spirit also only pertains to this life, because as we'll go through Scripture and we'll see what it, uh, it, it entails, it really um, empowers the believer in this life to walk in the supernatural. And we'll have a look at that in more detail as we go through this teaching today. Um, and so fewer Christians experience this particular baptism out of all, all three of them uh, for the body of Christ uh, today. But that wasn't always the case. The early church, by and large, um, experienced water baptism completely and baptism in the Holy Spirit almost completely. There are, there are one or two accounts in Scripture where um, it, it seems that they, that particular individual was not initially baptized in the Holy Spirit straight away. And I, the one example that comes to mind is the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip ministered to. Uh, Philip uh, witnessed to him, he was born again, he was baptized in water, and the moment he was baptized in water, the Spirit of God uh, caught Philip away. And so there we have no account in Scripture that this particular eunuch was baptized in the Holy Spirit at that time. Now, if that particular eunuch did come up back to Jerusalem to worship because that was his, his uh, ritual, that's what he practiced, and so the chances are very strong that he would have then subsequently been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But um, by and large, 99.9% .9 of the early church experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the reason for that is simple, is that because they were taught about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They understood it. Um, it was part of what the doctrine taught uh, by the apostles. Um, and it was a foundation. This is, don't forget, all of these teachings that we've been doing over these uh, number of weeks are the foundation doctrines. These are the, this is the milk of God's word. This is what all baby believers were taught when they came into the kingdom of God right from day one when the church first began. And so these doctrines should be taught to every single believer as they come into the kingdom of God even today. Um, more so because of the fact that there's been such a, a lack of, of biblical teaching along these lines. And so the, we, we had a look at the fact that there is one person who really resists water baptism. He obviously resists, the same person resists being baptized into Christ in that he doesn't want anybody to be born again. And that is Satan. Satan is the, the advers our adversary. And so Satan uh, would try and keep a, a people out of the kingdom of God. And so he prevents the gospel from being preached in certain nations for argument's sake so that people cannot give their hearts to the Lord Jesus. And so he is the adversary of the church, and he would try and prevent people from being baptized into Christ. If and when people are baptized into Christ and they give their hearts to the Lord, then he will then obviously try to prevent people from being baptized in water because he understands what water baptism actually does to the believer. And uh, if he can get the believer to not partake of it, he has a foothold in that believer's life. In this exact same manner, when it comes to being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the, our adversary, the devil, is the one who is the most adamant in trying to prevent the believer from partaking of this particular baptism because he understands uh, the consequences of a believer being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and the, the two terms are synonymous. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit is it's just two different uh, terms given to the exact same event. 
Uh, there are people that would then try and take the word and say, well, baptism and being filled with the Spirit, does it, you know, you, and they get hung up on words. And, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that we are not to get uh, caught up in, in arguments about a word because that then removes the blessing of God uh, from, uh, from us, from encountering the blessing of God in our life because we get hung up in words. But uh, take, we'll see it in Scripture that to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Holy Spirit is exactly one and the same thing. Um, it's just a different term for the, used for the same event. But Satan tries to prevent the, the believers from um, participating in this particular baptism because he understands that there is um, a greater degree of power available to the believer who has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the anointing that Satan has a problem with because he has no defense against it. And so his, his, his strategy is to try and prevent the believer from partaking of this particular baptism so that they do not become the threat to his kingdom as they could become had they been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he is ultimately the, the one who really resists this particular baptism, as he does the water baptism as well, but this one as well. And so there's such a, a um, opposition that comes up when you speak about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit among certain uh, members of the body of Christ. And, it's, and that's spiritual. It's never going to be the, 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 the head of the church who's going to, uh, by his spirit, resist the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is always going to be our adversary, the devil, who would resist the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that being baptized in the Holy Spirit is an event subsequent to being born again and being baptized into Christ by the Spirit of God. And I think I did, when we went through the series on being baptized into Christ, emphasize the fact that every believer who is baptized into Christ is baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. And He is the only one who can immerse us in Christ. And that is what baptism means, to be fully immersed. And He's the one who takes up residence in our spirits when we are born again. Um, the, the Lord takes up residence in us through His Spirit. And so every single believer has the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them when they're born again and partakes of the Holy Spirit. And we saw the various roles that the Holy Spirit fulfills in the life of the, of the believer um, when they are saved. But we're dealing with a, a different dimension now when we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the same Holy Spirit. We don't, when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we don't get a different Holy Spirit to the one that we received um, when we were born again. All that happens is that we receive a fuller measure of the Holy Spirit, for we are then filled with the Holy Spirit. And so one who is born again and has the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of them and has been fully immersed into Christ does not have it has not been filled with the Holy Spirit. That is what baptism in the Holy Spirit means, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let's have a look at a, a, a scripture that will just highlight for us the fact that baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that happens after salvation. It is um, an event that takes place in the life of the believer after they've given their hearts to the Lord and have been born again. And the scripture we'll look at is in Acts 
chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 4. And the scripture says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, this is talking about Lord Jesus Christ, before he was uh, going to ascend into heaven. He's now speaking to the disciples uh, for the last time, uh, while he's still on the earth. For you recall that um, when our Lord was raised from the, from the dead, for a period of 40 days, he appeared to the disciples at certain intervals in that 40-day period, and he taught them many things. And some of them have been recorded of what our Lord taught the disciples, and this is one of the things that he taught them. Scripture says, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise from the Father, a uh, promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in verse 8 he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so when our Lord made this comment to the disciples, each one of them had already been baptized into Christ. Each one of them had already been born again. They had already um, seen the Lord uh, in his risen form and had believed on him and had been born again. And we can have a look at the scripture where, and, and each one of them had in fact received the Holy Spirit. Because there's, a, there's an account in scripture where our Lord actually breathes on the disciples before they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Let's just read that account quickly. In John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19, the scripture says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. This is the very first time our Lord appears to them after he's raised from the dead. He had appeared to Mary uh, Magdalene already. He had appeared to Peter and he had appeared to the other two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But all of the disciples were, were locked up in this room at that night and our Lord appears to them at that time. He says, Peace to you. In verse 20, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so they were all partakers of the Holy Spirit at that time. But they were not filled with the Holy Spirit. They were just, and the Holy, our Lord breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. They all believed in him, and the Holy Spirit came and dwelt on the inside of them. So when our Lord now speaks to those, he's speaking to exactly the same disciples 40 days later, as he's about to be uh, taken up into heaven. Um, and he says to them, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, our Lord is, 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 is very clearly telling them there's another uh, occasion when the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, because you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be fully immersed into the Holy Spirit. And just 40 days earlier, he had breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had come on the inside of them. Each one of them were born again. So it, 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 it is definitely two separate events that have taken place 
or is about to take place in the lives of the disciples at that point in time in that they had been born again and they had received the Holy Spirit on the inside of them but they had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit as our Lord called it and he said when the Holy Spirit comes upon them he said but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and so here the Lord talks about two different uh, terms again for being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that the Bible talks about this event as being filled with the Holy Spirit. But here the Lord talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then our Lord talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. All right, so he, he, it, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is exactly the same thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit. is exactly the same thing as the Holy Spirit coming upon the, the, the believer. But what the main point I wanted to get across from this passage of Scripture is the fact that this event is a subsequent event to being born again and having the Holy Spirit coming dwelling inside of us when we are born again and baptized into Christ. Uh, and that is where a lot of confusion does come in in the church because a lot of people who are born again, they say, but wait a minute, I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. So what is this that I have to still now be filled with the Holy Spirit before? because I, I really have him living inside of me. So, you know, I don't understand this concept that I still need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, it's because it is a subsequent event um, and it is a case of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We have uh, the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of us in a measure um, we saw that our Lord said that when one, is, uh, one believes in him, uh, he will give them a fountain of living water inside of them, which will well up into everlasting life. And so that living water is inside of them for the individual for, to, believe the, uh, to, to bless the life of that individual. But when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, that was when our Lord stood up and says, Anybody thirst, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. So now that's not long, no longer just a fountain who, that blesses the individual in that it wells up into eternal life. Now he's talking about rivers of living water. It's the same water, just a greater measure of the water. And the water is the type of the Holy Spirit. And so now we, our Lord's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit to that degree that the, the rivers of living water flow out of the, the, the believer and that believer is then able to bless the lives of others. And our Lord spoke specifically about the fact that power would come upon them when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, the main difference between being... Um, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit when we get born again, for each one of us do, and being filled with the Holy Spirit is the supernatural. Uh, let's go back to what our Lord, uh, how our Lord described it in, in when He was speaking to the disciples in Acts. He's in verse eight. He says, "But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and all the end of the earth." Uh, and our Lord told them not to leave until they had received this power. So they obviously didn't yet have this power because our Lord would not have said to them, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, and you shall be my witnesses. And he, he names the places in Jer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now the disciples could witness for the Lord from there on then. The moment that they had seen the risen Lord, they could go around and tell everybody that they have now 
um, accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've seen him because they had. They had handled him with their hands. They had eaten with him and drunk with him in his risen state and they had seen him and so they could witness to everybody about the risen Lord so being a witness for our Lord Jesus Christ is not uh, uh, we're not hindered um, by not being filled with the Holy Spirit and that we can't now witness for the Lord because we can once once you have encountered the Lord in the new birth you you can and do and most people do witness then for the Lord Jesus Christ so that is not uh, the hindrance to witnessing but what has not happened is that the, the, the believer has not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit, has not yet received the power of the Holy Spirit in order to um, demonstrate the power of God. And that is one of the, well, it's the it's main reason why we are filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we can experience the supernatural power of God coming upon us and being made manifest through us. The power of God was, was, was intimate to the early church. Um, they understood the power, the tangible power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so much so that, look at a scripture that we can look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 19. The Apostle Paul speaking here, and he says, But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And so that is the, the, the key to being filled with the Holy Spirit, is the power of God is then made manifest in us. Now, when, I, when, when Paul was talking on this particular incident, what had happened was there were certain members of the church at Corinth that were challenging the authority of Paul as an apostle. They were not living correctly. They were living in sin. They were committing sin. And they were saying, you know, what's the big deal about Paul? I mean, he's just another man. Um, who's he to tell us? how we should and shouldn't live. And so Paul says to them, he, he, he kind of threatens them, but it's not the right term, but he, he just lays it down on the line. He said, you know, when I'm going to come to you guys, this is my paraphrasing of it, he said, I'm going to demonstrate the power of God because I'm going to, we'll, we'll see, you guys are going to be talking to me with your puffed up words, but I want to know what power you really have. So when I get there, we'll see just who is... Um, speaking on behalf of God and who's not speaking on behalf of God. And Paul had that authority. All ministry gifts do have that authority. The Lord gives up the ministry gift, the authority in the church um, to demonstrate the power of God for the edification of, of the church and not for its destruction. But on more than one occasion, Paul handed individuals in the church over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh or to be, to be taught to learn not to blaspheme. And he had that authority and he had that power. You will recall when Paul and, and Barnabas were on the island of Cyprus and they were ministering that there was this one sorcerer, uh, Elymas was his name, and he opposed uh, Barnabas and, and, and Paul preaching the gospel to this one particular individual. And uh, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, turned to that sorcerer and called him an enemy of, of, uh, of the gospel and pronounced that for a, for a time he would no longer be able to see the sun. 
And a time in the scripture is always a year. And so what happened, the Bible talks about a dark mist fell on that, that individual. And he went about seeking somebody who would lead him by the hands. And so he went, he went blind for a whole year. And so that is one example of the power of God being made manifest through the early church. Now, it wasn't just um, the apostles and those who were in ministry uh, giftings that operated in the power of God. You will call that, recall that Stephen, um, the Bible talks about the fact that many uh, wonders and signs were done through the hands of Stephen when he uh, ministered. And Stephen wasn't in any of the ministry gifts. He hadn't even yet been appointed at that time to operate as a deacon in the church, and yet God was using him to that degree. And so the, the early church understood the power of God, and the power of God was made manifest to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to do all sorts of, of um, signs and wonders. But it was tangible. It was uh, um, something that could be experienced. Because the kingdom of God, as Paul writes here, he says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And so that is really what the kingdom of God is all about. It is in transforming power. God is a God of, of being miraculous. God creates. God, um, each one, every, every Christian has, is a new creation of God. For the scripture tells us that if we be in Christ, we are new creations uh, all things have been passed away and all things have become new and all things are from God. And so we are all new creations of God. And God is in the, the business of creation, creating. And it's his, by His tangible power. The Holy Spirit is the power of God being made manifest. Uh, you can look at it in Scripture. There's a, the Holy Spirit's called the anointing. He's called the Holy Spirit. He's also referred to as being the power of God. And it is the power of God that created the universe, that created everything. For God is the creator of all things. And so God wants the church to um, be a partaker of his power, demonstrating his power in the earth. And we can only do that. He, he has mandated the church to do that by first being filled with the Holy Spirit and having a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. For when we're born again, um, there is a supernatural encounter that takes place, but it's not a tangible one. Some people, too, it is a tangible experience, but most people, that when they come into the kingdom of God, it's certainly an emotional experience, but it is not a tangible experience of the power of God. There is no encountering the power of God being made manifest. They know that they're saved. The joy of the Lord comes in their heart. They, the love of God is made manifest in, through them. But there's no tangible experience of that's the power of God that's just come on me. And that's the power of God that I'm feeling in my body. Um, that doesn't happen in the new birth, even though the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us at that time, in that instant. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is an encounter with the tangible power of God. And that is an encounter with the supernatural. And God wants to move His church into the supernatural so that the church can now walk in the supernatural. And the initial step that is taken in order to experience the supernatural in our Christian life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit come upon us and to experience the power of God. And that is what um, the difference is between 
being born again with and having the Holy Spirit take up residence on the inside of us and being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the, the, the crux of the difference between the two experiences, and they are two separate experiences. As we had a look at uh, with regards to the, the, the early church, when our Lord uh, first filled them with the Holy Spirit. Now, they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Um, our Lord was raised up from the dead in, uh, at Passover, and 50 days after Passover, you get Pentecost. The, the feasts that were put in place under the Old Covenant, God put those feasts in place as types and shadows of that which was events that were going to take place in the future. And um, the Feast of Passover was fulfilled when our Lord went to the cross, and the Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled when God the Father our Lord Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit, the promise that he had received from the Father. The Holy Spirit was poured out for the very first time on all flesh. And that took place on the day of Pentecost. And so it was, it's, God always moves in accordance with his feasts when he um, does do certain things in Scripture. And those are just two. Uh, we won't go into any depth along that subject. When God does fill the saints with the Holy Spirit, this, this, this event called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when it does take place um, in Scripture, and we're going to have a look at uh, scriptural accounts, examples in the Bible, we're going to look at all of them, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we looked at baptism in water, we only really looked at three accounts because the Scripture says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so we kind of established there that water baptism is uh, part of the New Testament doctrine and it should be experienced by every believer. But when it comes to being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I felt led of the Lord to really go through all of the examples in Scripture because there's such a tremendous degree of opposition to this particular baptism and because this baptism has such a, a powerful impact on the life of the believer in that that believer is then able to um, do a lot more damage to the kingdom of darkness while they're in this life. And really, we're, we're mandated, and we discussed it in the previous teaching, we're mandated by the Lord to go out and to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and to, to um, destroy the works of the devil. For the same mandate that the Lord received from God the Father, He is given to the church, and the church is meant to go forth and doing that in, in the earth today. And so when we look at the, all the accounts in the, the scripture, we will, scriptures, we will see that there are two uh, categories of phenomena that take place when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So again, I will use the terms interchangeably because they are interchangeable terms. It's exactly the same event. Being filled with the Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit coming upon you, um, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, all of this re refers to the same event, which is an, a subsequent event to being born again. And so we will see that there are two uh, distinct categories of phenomena that, that occur in all of the examples that we've looked at. Now, the, the first category of phenomena that occur are unique to those particular accounts in Scripture, and we'll have a look at them. And because they are unique to those accounts in Scripture, we can expect them to happen as the Spirit of God wills when people are full with the Holy Spirit. But we cannot go out and say, okay, this should happen every time 
people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it didn't happen, the, script, the Bible pattern, as we'll see as we go through the examples in Scripture, the Bible pattern shows us that it didn't happen, these phenomena I'm talking about, and we'll look at them, did not happen every single time disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so because they didn't happen every time, they happened, they might be recorded once or twice, um, and because they didn't happen every time, we can not expect that they must happen every time now when people are filled with the Spirit. Very important for us to, to differentiate between the two categories of phenomena. And you'll understand as we go through the teaching why I'm emphasizing the point. Um, but because that did happen at, in, in certain time, at certain times in Scripture, it is possible and highly, uh, highly possible that it will happen even today because it's the same Holy Spirit. And so the way that the Holy Spirit moved on the early church when he baptized the saints um, in the early church, he can do exactly the same thing today in that he can move in exactly the same manner as he did then. But I, I want to emphasize that because in these, in these examples we would look at, there's only once or twice where these particular phenomena are, are recorded, we can't say, all right, well, then we, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, or when we, ask, uh, when we pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, this should always happen. It won't always happen, because it didn't always happen in the early church. The second category of phenomena are the, the phenomena that occurred every single time uh, in every example given to us in scripture when with regards to the fully infilling the holy spirit being baptized in the holy spirit these particular criteria were met these phenomena had occurred these are the ones that we can and should and must expect to occur when individuals are filled with the holy spirit today because they these phenomena occurred in every instance recorded for us in Scripture for, as to what happened to the early church. And so those are the two differences with regards to phenomena uh, that occurred and with regards to um, conditions also that had to be met in order to be, in order for one to, uh, not qualify is not the right word, but in order for one to be filled with the Holy Spirit. These certain, there were certain conditions that always had to be met and always had to be made manifest. Um, and so I'm going to just quickly uh, list the three conditions, and there are only three, that were, had to be met and were made manifest in every instance of the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit as recorded for us in Scripture. Um, and that is now the, the New Testament pattern given to the church by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to us, when individuals are filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what has to happen. There's no deviation from these three points. And so if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, these are the three points that we'll, you'll always see. And the first one is that everybody is filled with the Spirit subsequent to being born again. It is, not a, it, it is an event that occurs after salvation. And we will have a look at all the accounts in Scripture and we will see that every time that the, the, the Holy Spirit gives us an example of a believer being baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is always after that believer has been born again and has been baptized into Christ. It is never done before and it's not done 
at the same time. Even when it's done almost sim simultaneously, it is always done subsequently. Um, it is the event that occurs after the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside the born-again spirit. Um, that is the first thing that we'll pick up. The second thing that we will pick up is that every single believer present at the time that there is an, out, there is an infilling of the Holy Spirit, there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that occurs, every single believer that is present is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is also very important for us to understand that the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is available to every child of God. It is not available to a certain elect of God. Um, for God is not unjust. He has no favorites. Every one of his children have ex uh, access to every promise of God. And the, we will see in, in the biblical accounts that whoever was there at the time when there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit taking place, every believer received the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There wasn't any believer that walked away and said, but it, I, you know, I, I wasn't filled. It, Peter was, but uh, John wasn't. No. We'll see in the accounts of Scripture, everyone gets filled. So everyone is first born again, then they are filled, and everyone at the time when they, they, the, the event occurs is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's none that are left out. And then the third um, phenomenon, and this is really the phenomenon that, that occurs, that takes place in every instance of one being filled with the Holy Spirit, is they begin to speak with other tongues. Um, that is... Uh, the sign that the person has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are going to be other um, um, phenomena that will occur, but not always. Okay, remember I said to you, there's the two categories of phenomena, the ones that are, are unique to that particular experience, and those phenomena can and do occur even today, but it's not all the time. But when it comes to this particular phenomena of speaking in other tongues, this phenomena occurs every single time the individual is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this phenomena will always uh, be displayed when one is filled with the Holy Spirit. They will begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Um, there's two other things that I want to mention before we go into the examples and we're going to start looking at examples and we won't get through all of the examples today we're going to go through over the next series of teachings looking at the examples given to us in scripture and analyzing each one and seeing what actually transpired and how we, it equates to today's uh, uh, environment for want of a, a better word but there are two other aspects to being filled with the Holy Spirit that we will also uh, look at as we look at the examples and that is the method used by God to fill His saints with the Holy Spirit. There are two methods we will see in Scripture that God uses to fill His saints with the Holy Spirit. The first method that we, 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 we see in Scripture, and there is more than one um, uh, time that this particular method is used, is God pours out His Holy Spirit on His saints Himself. So the Lord Jesus fills the saints directly from heaven. Uh, there's no uh, third party involved. It is between the individual and the Lord. And the Lord fills that individual himself with his Holy Spirit. So that's a direct infilling 
uh, from heaven. The second method that the Lord uses is through the laying on of hands. And we'll see evidence in that as we go through the scripture. Now, of all of the examples given, those are the only two ways given to us in scripture whereby people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Either directly from heaven by God himself, the Lord Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on the individual himself and they are filled. Or the individual is filled through the laying on of hands of another believer. Now, as I said, those are the only two methods given to us in Scripture as, that God uses to fill saints with the Holy Spirit. Of the two methods that are given to us in Scripture, the, I think if I get my, my numbers right, because there's six in total, and of the, of the six, four of them show us saints being filled with the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. Whereas two of them show us saints being filled with the Holy Spirit directly from heaven. And so again, what the Holy Spirit is showing to us by giving us that information is that the majority of his saints are filled with the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. And the reason for that is, is because it is easier for the Lord to fill his saints through the laying on of hands than it is directly from heaven. Because the laying on of hands, if you look at that particular doctrine, the, the, the whole point of laying on of hands is a point of contact. So when hands are laid on an individual, uh, it is easier for that individual to release their faith to receive from God through the, the laying on of hands of the person who's laying hands on them. It's just an easier method that God can use in order to fill his saints. But we won't get hung up on that particular point today. I just wanted to highlight the fact that there are two methods used by God to fill the, Holy, uh, fill the saints with the Holy Spirit. That is directly from heaven himself, um, the Holy Spirit just coming upon the individual and then being filled with the Holy Spirit, or the uh, individual being filled with the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands of another believer. And so those are the, the points that we kind of will pick up as we go through the, the various accounts in Scripture uh, today and over the next series of teachings, is that there's two different categories of phenomena that occur. Um, and one category is unique to each experience, as recorded in Scripture, and so can and will be experienced by the church today, but not every time. And then you get the category of phenomena that occur in every instance, and that must be part of being filled with the Spirit today because that doesn't change. The Holy Spirit has not deviated from that pattern, remains the same. And so we've seen that we have to be born again, and then we get filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody who is present at the time that the Holy Spirit uh, is made manifest through the infilling of the Holy Spirit is full. No one is left out. Um, and so that just kind of strongly implies that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every single believer. It is not for a chosen few, without a doubt. It is meant for every believer. God's promise is to his church. And then speaking with other tongues is the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is the one phenomenon that occurs in each instance. All right, having now said all of that, now we're going to start looking at some of the examples, well, not some, all of the examples given to us in Scripture of um, people of the people being filled with the Holy Spirit, saints being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we start with the very first account given to us in Scripture, which is what took place on the day of Pentecost. So I'm going to read the account, and then we're going to comment on it. And the account is in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember our Lord called it being baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here he, uh, the Holy Spirit tells us they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Same term, uh, same event, two different terms describing the same event. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Okay, so this is the account of the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, on the day of Pentecost. Our Lord had ascended into heaven by now. He, was, he went up on the 40th day of, of, of his resurrection. Um, and he was seated at the right hand of the Father, and he was waiting for the day of Pentecost to receive the promise from the Father of the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost came, and the Lord received the promise from the Father, and our Lord then poured out the Holy Spirit on his church. And again, I just wanted to re-emphasize the fact that Jesus, when he spoke to the disciples before the time to go and wait there, he called it being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And here in this account, it's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is exactly the same event. It's just two different terms that are used to describe the same event. But this particular event was extremely spectacular because think about it for the, uh, what actually transpired. The Bible talks about the fact that there was a, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Now, this, the sound of this wind must have been that powerful that it, it attracted people from all over the city of Jerusalem to come and find out what was going on in that particular house where they were. Um, must have been quite a big home because there were at least 120 people there on the day, maybe even more. The scripture doesn't talk about how many were there on the day. Just, the scripture just talks about there were 120 present praying. 
but there were well over 500 uh, saints that had seen the risen Lord in, on the mountain in, in Galilee. So it's quite possible that there were even more saints present on the day of Pentecost because that's when our Lord told them everybody should be together waiting for the uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the, the unbelievers living in the city of Jerusalem, they're the ones that hear the sound. Well, everybody heard it obviously but they also the unbelievers heard the sound of this mighty rushing wind and it was that powerful that it attracted them to go to this house to find out what was going on where did the sound come from what was it all about because it, it you know it was loud it was hugely it wasn't the people speaking in tongues that and we're going to get to that that attracted the unbelievers it was this sound of this mighty rushing wind that attracted the unbelievers to come around and congregate around this house to, to try and determine what on earth was causing this sound to, to occur. And so there's one of the phenomena that occurs here, and this is the only time we see in Scripture where the Holy Spirit, when He comes upon the saints, comes in the form of a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And so this phenomenon does not occur every time saints are filled with the Holy Spirit. However, it did occur then, and it does occur now. There are instances recorded in the modern church where saints have heard a rushing mighty wind come into the building. Um, and that has been the, the Holy Spirit who's come into their presence, and they've experienced the power of God being made manifest in their midst. But that's as the Holy Spirit wills. That is not something that happens every time the power of the Holy people are filled with the Holy Spirit. But it does happen because it happened then and it can and should happen now. But again, only as the Spirit wills. But it was very powerful. There was another incident that occurred, the phenomena that occurred on this occasion. And that is that tongues of fire came down on each one of the saints and settled upon each one of them. Now, by the time that the, the unbelievers had got gathered around the house uh, to try and determine what the sound of the, this mighty rushing wind was, what was the source, um, the tongues of fire had, had dissipated. They, the, the fire phenomena was no longer there because the unbelievers didn't comment on that. Uh, they didn't see that. But inside the house, when the, when the Holy Spirit came in and came upon the saints, uh, in this instance, there were tongues of fire that settled upon each one of them. Now again, again but again, that, that's the only time we hear in scripture, we see in Scripture where the Holy Spirit makes Himself manifest through this phenomenon of the, 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 the fire of God being made manifest in their midst. We don't see it again mentioned in Scripture. But it did happen then. And so because it did happen then, it is possible for it to happen now. Um, but not every time, because this was a phenomena that occurred that was unique to that particular occurrence. And again, there are many accounts recorded in the modern church where saints have seen the fire of God being made manifest in their midst, because God the Holy Spirit still makes Himself manifest through this method, through this phenomena of displaying His fire in the midst of the saints as he does from time to time display his power through the sound of a mighty rushing, rushing wind that comes into the building. And so those are the two phenomena that are unique to this particular experience. No, there's more. Um, unique to uh, this particular occurrence. Um, now, something that the, the unbelievers do see, because they mock them, 
is they say these guys are drunk. So the unbelievers are seeing signs that the saints are exhibiting, which to the natural human eye looks as if these people are intoxicated, as if they are drunk with, well, they call it new wine. Um, it, they're not talking about being uh, speaking with other tongues here, because when they, the, the Bible talks about they spoke with other tongues, everybody who understood the language recognized that they were magnifying God. So they weren't behaving like drunken men in magnifying God in speaking out the, the language that God had given them at that time. Because those people who, could, who understood the language, because there were uh, people standing in the crowd who could understand what they were saying, uh, it was not slurred words of a drunken man. It was an individual giving glory to God and magnifying God. And so that was not the, the evidence that the unbelievers saw, which made some of them comment that these guys are drunk. These guys are, are, are completely you know, under the influence of alcohol, whatever it is. The reason was because they were displaying signs of being intoxicated. I'm, I guarantee you that there was among them saints that were so intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, the power of God coming upon them, that they couldn't stand up straight. And they would be falling down, and they would be lying down, and they would, that to an unbeliever, when he looks upon that, his natural thinking says, okay, well, that person's drunk. That person can't even stand up straight. That person is staggering all over the place, and that person just falls down. So there must be alcohol involved. That is evidence of uh, the phenomena of being filled with the Holy Spirit to that nth degree that they are displaying um, an outward display to people looking around them as if this person is intoxicated and completely drunk. And, you know, the Bible talks about the fact, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it is possible for the saint to be that filled with the Holy Spirit that they their behavior is one of a drunken individual, one who is drunk with wine, but in actual fact, they're drunk with the Holy Spirit. And so that phenomenon is also described on this occasion. We don't see that phenomena described again in other, other accounts of being full of the Holy Spirit. But it is described here. And because it's described here, it is possible for the Holy Spirit to make himself manifest through the saints in the church today. And the, this account is very common. It's not always, though. Not always, okay? And so it's, because it's not in every account that we'll see in, in the Scripture, it cannot be expected in every account today. But it's certainly a lot more common in that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they do begin to behave like drunken men, in that they fall down under the power of God, in that they battle to stand up under the power of God, in that they stagger around because they are so um, intoxicated with the power of God, drenched is maybe a better word, come, uh, with the power of God. Now, that, as I say, that, that particular phenomenon is recorded extensively in the church when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I've experienced that to, to the nth degree that you, you cannot drive your car after it. You are still hours after the, the, the meeting. Um, you're so full, intoxicated uh, with the Holy Spirit that you, you, you battle to drive your car. And that is, that is exactly the same kind of display of a person who's intoxicated with alcohol. 
Um, the difference being that there's no hangover in the morning. Uh, one who's drunk in the Holy Spirit is full of joy in the morning, whereas one who's drunk in wine is not so full of joy in the morning. And that's, that's the difference, kind of. Uh, it's not a very crude analogy, but that's pretty much uh, helps you to understand why it is that these unbelievers were looking on, the, on these saints and were saying, okay, well, those guys are drunk. They are, you know, they're behaving, they, they're obviously intoxicated. And that is the power of God came upon them to that degree that they were staggering around as drunken men. Now, there was another phenomenon, which is not recorded here, but I, it's, it, it kind of ties in with being drunk in the spirit. And that is laughter in the spirit. Um, when people, uh, not always, uh, let's go into the natural now, uh, when people get drunk with alcohol, a couple of times what is manifest, people become very aggressive, obviously, that type of thing. But there's also some people that just can't stop giggling and laughing about it, whatever. They, they think anything's the funniest thing out. And that laughter is induced through intoxication, through alcohol-induced uh, laughter. Being drunk, uh, being drunk in the Holy Spirit, there is definitely, and again, this phenomenon is widely recorded in the church today. Uh, I've experienced it. It is uncontrollable laughter in the Holy Spirit. And it just comes up from the inside of you, and you cannot stop laughing. And it is, again, uh, uh, somebody who is looking at you from the outside, who is an unbeliever, or even a Christian who is... Um, uninformed about the things of the Spirit, looking upon this individual who's just laughing, would think to themselves, okay, that person is intoxicated. They say, you know, there's, there's something else that's going on there. Um, but that is induced by the Holy Spirit. It's the joy of the Lord that just bubbles up on the inside of the individual, and they cannot control their laughter. The difference between laughing in the Spirit and laughing in the natural is that when you laugh in the spirit, there is absolutely no discomfort felt whatsoever. That person can be rocking backwards and forwards, laughing in the spirit, bouncing up and down, and they're not in any kind of discomfort. There's no, um, let me explain it. Somebody who laughs a lot in the natural because of whatever is causing them to laugh a lot, eventually they start getting cramps uh, and it starts to hurt. And they actually want to stop laughing because it is sore for them to continue laughing. Um, and that is laughing in the natural. And it's a lot of laughing, but it, it has this uh, discomfort that eventually comes upon the individual. Whereas laughing in the spirit, none whatsoever. The person can laugh for hours in the spirit. And the person, once the, the spirit of God lifts off the person, they're just walking around normal and no discomfort is felt whatsoever because now it's joy of the Lord. And then when the joy of the Lord comes upon an individual, there's no discomfort that comes upon the individual at all. And so that pretty much displays uh, the phenomena that occurred with regards to this account, which is unique to this account. Um, in that there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, there was the fire of God being displayed, there was the, the evidence of people looking like and behaving like they were drunk, um, and as I say, you can infer through that is that the, uh, uh, some of them at least must have been laughing uncontrollably in the spirit as well. 
But now we're going to look at the phenomena in this account, which is get, we'll see as we go through all of the accounts in Scripture, which is uh, consistent with all the accounts. And so these are the, uh, the phenomena, these are the conditions that we should expect to see every time believers are filled with the Holy Spirit uh, in the church today. And the first one is that none were excluded. Every single believer on the day of Pentecost who was there was filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no evidence at all that only some were filled with the Holy Spirit and some stood by. And I'm talking about believers. And they you know, marveled at what was going on. They didn't understand it. Every single believer present on that day was filled with the Holy Spirit. God did not exclude any of his children. The other thing is, obviously, all of these believers were born-again believers at the time that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. None of them had uh, not been born again by that time. All of them were, were born again, had the Holy Spirit already living on the inside of them. And the Bible is very plain here. All of them spoke with other tongues. And so the three, uh, three phenomena that is, uh, uh, we'll see and or recorded here, which now we will see in all accounts, is that all were born again, all were filled, and all spoke with other tongues. Now, in this account, the scripture does help us a little bit to understand what speaking, how to speak with other tongues, because a lot of Christians struggle to, to, to receive on this uh, aspect. And the Bible says, and they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so the individual who's filled with the Holy Spirit is the one who will do the speaking, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't take over our vocal cords and then we just sit back and he then begins to speak. No, he gives us the utterance. He gives us the language. And when he gives us the language, we speak it out. We, we give voice to, you. we use our vocal cords to speak out this heavenly language. Now, in this instance here, the Bible lists certain languages that were spoken um, that were understood amongst unbelievers in the crowd. But to the person who was actually doing the speaking, that tongue was a foreign tongue. So the person that was speaking um, e Egyptian, for argument's sake, that person didn't know anything about Egyptian. Um, if that's the right term for that, to speak as an Egyptian. Um, but they were speaking, they were speaking to them a foreign tongue. But the individual standing around there and who came from Egypt, he understood what they were saying. And that's why he could say, well, wait a minute, they are magnifying God. Now, the individual who is magnifying God didn't know what they were saying. But I understood that they were magnifying God because that was what is tongues, that is what tongues is all about, kind of. Uh, there's a lot more to tongues than that. But the point is that the, the gift of tongues very often is an individual speaking in a known tongue to another individual, but it's never known to the individual who's actually doing the talking. And the Bible talks about the fact that I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So gift of tongues uh, allows us to speak not only with uh, languages that are in the earth today, or have been in the earth in, in the past for, what, uh, for that matter, but also heavenly languages, angelic languages. That is part of being full of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. But um, I want to do just summarize on this point that from what we've seen in this account, because we do need to pick it up in every, every account, is that the phenomena that was unique, uh, that was um, 
not, not unique to this experience, it will be picked up in all accounts, is that every believer was filled with the Holy Spirit who was there. Uh, everyone who was filled with the Holy Spirit had already been born again. And everyone who was filled with the Holy Spirit spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we're going to end up on end the teaching on that particular point today. Amen.